This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the 1912 Exiles podcast, the only Newport County podcast made by the fans for the fans. Joining me tonight for this end of season extravaganza, the good doctor, Ed Bridges. Good evening, not with her. And our northern correspondent, Ian Street. Hiya, Reese. Hiya, Ed. Hi, everyone. So, as I said, uh, this is our end of season special. Including this episode, we'll have done 40 episodes um, since, the, since this point last season. And we're really proud of the quality and the regularity that we've managed to produce content this season. Um, It'll probably be a quiet summer from us, but we'll do a few one-off specials as well as uh, catching up every now and again with uh, the sign-ins and the big news. Um, In the meantime, if you've enjoyed the work uh, that we've put in this season, you can support the pod either by donating the cost of a coffee through our Ko-Fi account or by giving us a positive review through your favourite pod service. Anyway, with that out of the way, let's crack on. I think we all, at least me and you, Ian, we watched the final game against Crew. What were your um, takeaways from there? Well, one of the takeaways was we need to sort out the replays, don't we? Because we missed a lot of key actions. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of key actions while we were replaying incidents. <laughs> so that wasn't great. We need to work on that. Whoever's in charge of that. But actually, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really entertaining game. Often those end-of-season games can be a bit of a damp squib, can't they? But I, I thought it was really entertaining. I thought we dominated it for large parts. But I do think that um, this game, and we'll come on, I think, to talk about our season, but I think this this game was a microcosm of our season. I thought we lacked a bit of creativity. I thought we were a bit inconsistent. We're prone to losing sloppy goals. There was a bit of a lack of bite in midfield. But the positives were we worked really hard as a team. Lots of really good togetherness. You know, the team looks really well, you know, well drilled. And we've got a proven goal scorer um, for this level. So it, I, I thought that game summed all of that up. And that, that for me, is our season, which we'll come on to talk about more, I'm sure. 
Yeah, I thought much the same. I think I texted you at halftime and said uh, we really need to turn pressure into goals because we we were pushing for most of that first half and uh, definitely just couldn't couldn't get the breakthrough. And then, like you say, I still haven't seen the crew equalise of the second one because there was a, a replay of our goal going on on iFollow at the time and uh, I'm I'm yet to see it. Uh, my favourite moment that it cut to a replay was um, Aaron Lewis in the first half beat two players and the commentary was saying how he had beaten another one, but we were watching a replay of someone blasting it over the bar. No idea yeah. what was going on at all. It's dreadful. Yeah, the, yeah, the coverage was not great. Whether they were dazzled by um, Aaron Lewis's haircut, you know, is another. You know, maybe maybe <laughs> that was the issue. Was blinking off his new blonde scalp. I don't know. So looking back on our preseason expectations. I said we should be aiming for the playoffs, which I think is still should have been the aim, but we obviously didn't achieve that. Um, Ian, Mr. Mr. Positive, as always, um, said third, as did um, our friend Martin from Exiles Analytics. Jamie said playoffs. Um, He initially said 10 to 12th, but was persuaded by Ian's optimism. (laughs) And then Ed said 14th. So close. So close. One place off. Yeah, I mean... And actually, it could have been even closer because if you look at the final table, I think there were six points covering 12th right the way down to 19th. So, yeah, Tranmere, Crewe, Sutton, us, Walsall, Gillingham, Doncaster and Harrogate were all within six points of each other. So um, I think probably, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to say it again, listeners. I was closest. I said 14th, one place out, one point out. But um if you look at it, you know, you kind of chuck a blanket over most of that kind of lower mid-table bit. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, I mean, well, the table doesn't lie. We finished where we deserved to uh, to finish. Um, I think I'm right in saying if we hadn't conceded that last-minute goal against Crewe, we'd have been two points higher and so would have been um, would have been in 12th. Yeah. Ooh, so Jamie wouldn't have won that. Yeah. So, you know, there really wasn't a lot in it at, at the end and I, I know we're going to come on and talk about James Robry um a, a little bit later but I think if you if you look at that season probably if we kept Robry in charge we'd have been towards the bottom of that bunch the sort of 12th and 19th bunch if we'd had Coco a little bit longer we would probably would have been a little bit higher up but I mean somewhere in that uh, in that pack felt about right to me the pace because I had a little a little chart because I'm a massive nerd um of <laughs> the projection of points and at the pace we were going under Robbery, we would have finished the season with 36 points, which was certain relegation. You know, Coughlin's done really well. His rate of gathering points is roughly similar to Flynn. We score slightly less goals than when we were under Flynn. We concede slightly less goals than when we were under Flynn. So, you know, it kind of all balances out. That being said, Robry's start last season, we were picking up points and scoring goals for fun. But um, I think, like he, he said in an interview since, that he compromised on his principles a little bit and tried to go more defensive this season, but that didn't work. We were still conceding sloppy goals, but because he had tried being more conservative, we ended up not scoring as many either. 
what do you think retrospectively we'll start with uh, you ed because i know ian's got a lot to say on on the robbery kind of era start at the start of the season yeah i mean well just before i come to that the other thought that struck me is it's it's very tempting to compare how we did under Coughlin to how we might have done if we kept robbery or how we did under flynn i think if we look back a few months we had a conversation on the pod about what what would be a kind of par for the season if you know we once we'd accepted we weren't going to make the playoffs but we were going to be safe like what should we be aiming for at the time, I said, can we finish higher than AFC Wimbledon, which we managed, partly because AFC Wimbledon were atrocious in the last few months. But actually, if you look at it, we overhauled Walsall, which is no mean feat, given that they were significantly higher than us for a large chunk of the season. And we were within a few seconds of um, of being higher than Crew. So, you know, all of that suggests good things to me, that we've we've managed to overcome teams who are more established than us in terms of league clubs, bigger crowds, um, and and teams who yeah weren't in the relegation mire uh, in the same way that we were all, all adjacent to the relegation mire. Um, so I think there's there's a lot to be said about that that I think we can be pleased with. As for Robry, I mean, funnily enough, I was talking about this on um, on the Alternative Wales pod the other day and saying you know it was really the, like the worst moment of the season, the low point of the season was having to say goodbye to Robry, not because it was the wrong thing to do. I think it. It probably was, and and I think the majority of fans, not all, but the majority felt the time had come to make the change. But no one felt good about it. You know, sometimes you you get rid of a manager, there is that feeling of right, great. You know, we needed to get rid of them. They were they were useless. You think of Westley, for example. Right, we got rid of them. Um, we can all cheer up, you know, and the and the mood improves. I think we got rid of Robbery, and everyone felt a bit rubbish that you know we wanted this guy to succeed. It hadn't worked out, um, and we had to kind of find a way to pull ourselves up a little bit but I think we did really well to kick on from that and Coughlin I saw uh, Chris Kerwin's piece this week about how Coughlin came in he had his crawl walk run philosophy and you know we made ourselves hard to beat we weren't pretty to watch but then we gradually ground out the results and then could start to think how we could expand our playing style and like all of that was entirely the right thing to do and I think we're in a really good place now not just in terms of results but I think also if you look at the player acquisitions that we made in January Charlesley in particular but also the Lonies who came in and gradually got um, incorporated into that team it showed that Coughlin and the people around him know what they want to do and you know we are going to have a we'll come on to talk about it we're going to have a really big difficult summer in terms of the number of players we're probably going to have to replace but I think we've got the right people to to do that uh, and to, to bring in good players. So um, it was horrible getting rid of Robry. I think we had to do it. It's It was the right decision at the time. It's the right decision in retrospect. But yeah, it was. I think that was my lowest moment of the season, undoubtedly. You made a really good point there about the uh, transfer business. I think Robry certainly didn't help himself with our, if you look back at our summer signings, a lot of them just haven't quite played out how we wanted them to. Contrasted with the January moves, some of them seem, you know, quite shrewd. I think both the young strikers we added definitely benefited the squad. I think Charlesley, like you say, was a was a really good capture as well. Uh, he added a different dimension to our midfield. Ian, I know you you were one of those who didn't want Robbery to go. In retrospect, do you think it was st- the right call, or are you sticking by? We should have uh, stayed with him. Yeah, like for me, um, and I know I'm, I'm in an increasing minority of probably one. At this point, but um, no, I don't think we should have sacked him. I didn't think it at the time, and I still don't think it. And that, that's absolutely 
nothing to do with with Coughlin and 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 what he's done since he's come in and I absolutely fully support him he's he's our manager I'm behind him so it's not about Coughlin at all um it's about giving Robbery the opportunity to learn and grow which in my view is completely what we should have been doing and that was the whole point of having a, a young homegrown manager mistakes were going to be made can he learn and move on from that for me we never gave him a chance we didn't give him a year right so he gave me a real glimmer of, you know, why I go and watch football. We, we've talked about this in the past, you know, a bit of romance, a bit of some great football. We, we all said he's, we played some of the best football we've seen under him for years. Um, and we didn't give him a year. So, here's my, you know, here's my question to everybody. If we're in 18th place in October, and we don't have a great start, and we win away at the at the league leaders a week before, we, are we sacking Coco? Because that's the precedent we've set. We're not going to give you a year. We're going to get to October. We haven't had a great start. Despite the fact you might have ended the previous season quite well, you're out on your ear. Is that, he did is that... End the season well, though, did he? We had that string of home defeats. We fell away from the playoffs. So yeah, the start fair point. was a continuation of playing badly the season before. But I think for me, that's 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 my question, really. It's like, at what, what, what point do we now go, well, you know, you're not in the relegation places. You're in 18th. I'm sorry, that's not good enough. You're out. Is that is that what we're going to say? Hopefully not. Obviously, because I want whoever whoever's is in charge of us, I want us to give him a a, a decent run. And I, I I was frustrated by the fact that I for me and I know that I I know that people don't agree with this. I don't felt I don't feel we gave Rory a decent run. And when it started to turn, we just went sling your up, mate. I see. I'm not I'm not quite persuaded by that. I think there's a couple of things. So firstly, as Reese has said, we we ended last season badly you know and and that would have been okay if we'd kicked on and started the season well and started a new chapter but we didn't we carried on that bad form into the season and as Reese said earlier if you project our start of the season form under Robry through the season we end up on 36 points which is lower than Rochdale now again I'm not saying that that would have happened we, we probably would have um, slightly improved as, as the season went on but there is certainly enough there to indicate that I think we would have been in much more of a struggle than we ended up being. And I think once Coughlin came in, he showed that he could grind out results. And I think that for me was the issue under Robry that in his last few games, it just felt as though he wasn't learning the lesson. He wasn't learning to say, right, let's just shut up shop and, and try and grind out some results and keep some clean sheets. It was, no, we're still going to play, attract, try and play attractive gung-ho football. And, God knows, I want to watch attractive gung-ho football. But in the context of where we were at the time, I think that probably counted against him. And I also think, as Reese said, the signings in retrospect didn't help either. Because if you're in a bad run of form, but you can say, oh, we're missing key players or, or whatever else, you know, you maybe get a bit of time. But really, all right, Zanzala was out injured. But most of the rest of the players were, were fit and, and ready they may not have been his first choices, but ultimately, if you're the man who signed them, you, you've kind of got to carry the can for that. And did he sign? Did he sign them? Well, the, what we were always told with Darren Kelly is the manager had the final sign-off. And again, whether that's true or not, you can argue till the cows come home. But if you say the manager has the ultimate sign-off and the ultimate say-so, then guess what? It's the manager who plays the, the, pays the price if if those players don't perform. And you know, I'm with you, Ian. I, I like to see managers being given time. I think we probably did give Robry time. But it, I don't think it was a rushed... It certainly wasn't a rushed decision. And I think by the time we sacked him, I think 
the majority of fans either felt he needed to go or could understand the reasons why we took the decision. No one felt good about it, but I think it was it felt as though we were in that like Overton window of this is an acceptable decision to make at this point. I, I know the fans had turned. I mean, I, I mean that's that's absolutely that's absolutely the case. You know, the fans had turned, and it was a really difficult situation for the board to make. Um, and I hear what you're saying. The simple fact is, I don't agree. Do you know what I mean? I don't agree. I just, I if I was in charge, I'd have, I'd have given him longer. I think the fans turned. Certainly, he was getting booed from the stands, and I think they gave him two or three more games. And I think it's not just the fans, but the players look just bereft of confidence as well. I know you made a point about the signings. A lot of the signings, as we noted at the start of the season, came with Cardiff connections to Robbery. So I'm assuming that they were his players because we were tongue in cheek saying we were Cardiff reserves. Yeah. And um, he didn't get 12 months, but Robbery got 47 league games, which is one full season and one game in charge. Great start. And yeah, we started off the season with three wins, two draws and nine losses. So we were on 11 points after 14 games. When he departed, um, that's pretty much a quarter of the season as well. That's generally the point where you you know who the movers and shakers are in the league. Um, I personally think, like Ed said, everyone wanted it to work. But uh, unfortunately, it just didn't quite work out for for Robbery. And he's, Do we know he's what, bank- his, what was his win, what was his what was his points per game across the forty seven games or his win ratio? Do we know that one point three four points a game, point zero six worse than uh, Cochrane. So he was one point five eight points a game last season. He was point seven nine this season. So we were less than a point a game under Robbery in his fourteen games this season. It's I mean yeah it's it's pretty damning. I don't think we have to to dwell on it. I mean it's interesting to see that now he's involved in the Welsh under seventeen setup, is it? And I think that's a good place for him to go to perhaps um, analyse where things worked and where they didn't. I, I have no doubt he will coach at a good level again. He may even manage at a good level again, and um, he may even manage Newport County at a good level again. I'm sure his career is going to recover from this um, and he's a good man and an honourable man and no one likes to see an honourable man fail um, it's it was just one of those um, and yeah I'm sure he will go on to have successes later on and we'll, we'll talk about his time at Newport as being a really important learning point. So we'll move on to a more cheerful subject then um, should we go with your uh, favourite game of the season? Uh, Ian do you want to start us off? Yeah, I'll start us off, which is going to sound ridiculous now because I'm talking. I'm going to say a robbery game, <laughs> so, but, but but it's just it, it genuinely. But I mean, it genuinely the, the best game. The best game I saw us was uh, Harrogate away. Um, lovely place for those who haven't been. Lovely, lovely town. It was a cracking. I had some cracking charcuterie and cheese before the game, which we know was quite a key <laughs> thing for me. It was a sunny. It was a lovely sunny day. Um, it was a you know, and if we've got to remember any robbery by anything, it was his robbery ball, and this was a classic robbery ball performance. We played like Brazil, and we were four 0 up at half time. It was just like, wow, this is this is this is everything I want from a football from a football match from football away day. It was brilliant. Um, so that that for me was my my highlight and best game of the season. Ed, what about you? Well, it felt as though there were a lot of moments this season where I was cold and I was wet and we were losing and it was rubbish. It, not because 
we were bad all season because we we weren't by any means. But it just a, a lot of the memories I have are of standing on windswept terraces, thinking, "Why do I do this?" So the antithesis of that was at home against um, Hartlepool, uh, which I think was the Saturday just after Easter. The sun was out; it was a boiling hot day. We won two nil, and we were two nil up at half time. And there's something about being two nil up at half time, particularly against a team in the relegation zone, where you go, "Okay, we're not going to mess this up. This is fine. We're going to win." It, yeah. So it was a nice day. County won fairly comfortably, and then because there was like record store day stuff happening in Newport, there were bands playing in city centre. There were stages outside. Ian stood with me and my boy and, and had a drink watching a band. And then I went out for for dinner in the indoor market with my eldest, which was lovely. And then Tinty in the Bucket House played Bar Amber, and everyone had been on the source for about nine hours by that point. So it's just one of those lovely days where you think, oh, can I bottle this? And can we also can we stop the season at this point? Because you know that'll do. Now we're mathematically safe. We don't need to carry on. Um, that would so have been a great was, last game, wouldn't it, Ed? If that had been the last really, game of the season, really that would have been brilliant, wouldn't it? And, and that was yeah. my second favourite. I, I totally agree with you. One of my favourites was probably around the same time. Must be maybe a bit of recency bias, but um, <laughs> I went over to us beating Northampton 3-0. And we came ah, under a bit yeah. of pressure at times, but we actually played really well. And I think Ryan Haynes got a bit of treatment as well, which was quite funny. All good-natured, but he was down, down the side where I was sat... Uh, first game I've taken my wife to as well in a good few years. So she was a bit of a lucky charm. It's not that good every week. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It was a beautiful sunny day. We had a nice nice afternoon out. We won 3-0. It was fantastic. My my least favourite of the season undoubtedly was Stockport uh, away on Easter Monday. I was still getting over COVID, so I didn't feel great. You know, it's a long train ride up there and back. It chucked it down. Uh, for the 10 minutes it took to walk from the station to the ground and then did it again on the walk back. So I got drenched twice. Every pub I came to was like home fans only. And we lost 4-0 and we tried an experiment. It didn't work. And I just got home and I thought, I have spent with trains and tickets and everything else, probably to support the best part of 200 quid, to be wet and miserable and not enjoy my bank holiday at all. And I've got to go to work tomorrow. It was awful. That was my least favourite of the season. It was it was atrocious. I remembered <laughs> us getting the shit kicked out of us by Sutton's Giants at home. Oh, it was yeah, yeah, yeah. That. that wasn't a good one. But apart from Will Randall, everyone in that Sutton squad is at least 6'2". They were just f***ing giants. Ridiculous. Um, Ian, have you got a least favourite memory of uh, this season? Well, it's a re- slightly weird one for me, this one, because I, I, I've had, I've been having sort of existential doubts about my whole love of football this season. So the, I, I've struggled a bit this year with football. <laughs> so in, in, in one respect, I, I, I'm like, am I falling out of love with the game? You know, do is a lot of a lot about the game annoys me, which we might come on to a little bit later. And I found it a very long season. However. I haven't actually, every time I've actually gone to see her, so I've enjoyed it. So I think my existential angst is out, is, is all the stuff that's outside of that. The physically turning up and watching the games, even when we haven't been great, I've enjoyed. But there's been a few sort of surreal experiences for me, really, this year. The, the, the Milton Keynes soul, you know, soulless <laughs> bowl <laughs> was one 
the pizza trophy on a Tuesday night when there's about 30 of us in the ground and I did a 300 round mile trip for that. That, that was quite bizarre. Didn't we call um, that episode of the pod uh, the most pointless game in history of the universe? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I don't think I'll ever go to a more pointless game than that. That was weird, right? Um, but it but it gets sort of slight weirdness, kudos for the fact that it was so bonkers, right? I, I quite the Rochdale game at home, which was ending up with Roby sacking, and I came down with my mate Paul, and you know we again we had a good day out, and um, but that was a pretty grim game, really, and obviously ended with Roby sacking. Um, Salford away, which I always hate. We got Wallop there three 0 last year. We got Wallop there three one this year. I can't stand the place, the club, the ground, everything about it. <laughs> And yet, I met Jamie there, I met Mr. Harris, I met a load of Jamie's mates, we had a good few beers in Manchester. So the sort of day was quite good, in fact, for the fact that the football was absolutely bobbins. Um, so, you know, I'm a bit, like, yeah, I, 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 there's not been a particular away game. Like me and you at Carlisle, Ed, with, with, with your lad, you know, that was, I'm still warming up. Well, you, know you, me, it, my it, boy, and, and 60, like, drunk Partick fans. Partick Thistle which, ones. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... If if anyone from the club is listening, please God, can we have a preseason friendly against Partick? Because they were great fun, and I feel yeah. like you know anything where you can have a like hands across the ocean between two sets of fans like that, we should just embrace. And go, yeah, fine, let's have a preseason against Partick. We'll take a load up there. It'll be fun, and it, it was just it was a re. It, I mean, on what was otherwise a routine away defeat in freezing cold conditions in January, that was the only thing that made that remotely enjoyable but yeah. um yeah so uh, yeah. please let's have a pre-season friendly again uh, friendly against Partick yeah so I've had quite a few of that all year but odd, odd, odd surreal things going on across the year which which despite defeats and I've seen us lose quite a lot or draw a lot it's been all right and I've met some lovely people and all that sort of stuff the season as a whole I'm a bit like meh I mean I've watched a lot I've watched more football this season I think than than any other season in my lifetime the football has been good at some points and indifferent at more points but it has kind of been the the camaraderie that has saved it a bit and i think this pod has helped because the number of Definitely. listeners we've met along the way has really um given it some focus and some meaning and some pleasure so um i think i said it a, a few episodes ago but if if you stopped and had a chat with us this season or even if you just messaged us and said hi thank you because it um it really did add to the experience of an otherwise like mid-table season there was a lot about this season that felt forgettable but it's finding the the moments of meaning and the moments of joy within it whether that's you know having a laugh with some drunk Glaswegian Partick fans or uh yeah watching a band after Hartlepool in the sunshine you know it's it's the stuff around it and it's going to the football is never just about the football is it it's about all the other totally. stuff that that happens and so um yeah, yeah I think for that reason it's it weirdly this has been one of my favorite seasons watching football despite rather than because of the football <laughs> the football yeah yeah and, and, and just to, before we move on just to really touch on what you've said there Ed there's been plenty of people who've come up to me at games this season, people I don't know who aren't necessarily on Twitter or making big noises. They're, they're, they're the people who listen to us just just like quietly behind the scenes. We've just come up gently on, a, on away games wherever, you know, and, and just said, oh, you know, thanks very much and just wandered off. You know, I mean, that, that is everything for me. You know, I don't need, we don't need a big noise. Is that I mean, because it, of what you do on nice. the pod or is that because of your biceps and, and they just, they recognise your biceps from social I, media? Uh, let's, let's just move quickly on there. <laughs> <laughs> So moving on, um, after the game on the weekend, uh, we had our official awards evening. 
but we're going to dish out the um, 1912 Exiles player of the, the season. The coveted 1912 Exiles player of the season. Coveted. They can have a... Let's stick it on a mug, aren't we? <laughs> and they... <laughs> so we'll start with you, Ian. Who is your uh, player of the season? So my player of the season, this might be... This might be there might be a bias here because obviously I mostly mostly away games, so that will I guess players play potentially differently, don't they, away from home and at home? But um, it's the Bogle um, for me. He I did I never really understood there was a point in the season when he he stopped scoring and was getting criticism, wasn't it? I, I I didn't I didn't and they were he was getting criticism at home. He certainly wasn't getting it away at games I went to, and I I never really understood it because for me every time I saw him he absolutely worked his socks off. He got battered by centre half, southern down a country, and he led the line as well as he absolutely possibly could do. And we might come on later to think about who do we need to sign in, in, in you know, later on. And you've made some really good points about this recent in the chat. But yeah, for me, Bogle, at the end of the day, we've got a twenty goal a season you know, got what seventy in the league plus a couple in the cup, didn't he? But you know, we've got a twenty goal season striker sat in our team under contract. Brilliant. There's some honourable shouts I could make to other people, but I'm I'm sure you guys will do that. Yeah, 100% in agreement with that. I I think he had a few rough months. There's no there's no getting away from it, and um, I think fans were were harsh on him. But I think he was harsh on himself. I think he he knew he wasn't living up to the standards that he he wanted, and it was a testament to the character of the man, the way that he bounced back from that. He still kept plugging away despite getting some abuse from fans and despite getting fouled and pushed and shirt pulled and you know all all the stuff that goes on with him he stuck at his job and the form came back and yeah like you say 19 goals all season um is a a good return for someone who was playing in a team that didn't have many other goals in it at at times and who didn't perhaps have the right partner for um most if not all of the season so I think yeah Bogle absolutely deserves that I'm going to give two honourable mentions I'm going to give an honourable mention to Harry Charlesley for the way he galvanised the team when he came in in January I thought we massively improved once he came in and it it showed what we'd been missing you know going into that transfer window we said oh we need someone to uh, to come in in midfield to kind of boost not just work rate but um you know, play the simple pass, keep everything ticking over. And uh, I mean, I just love Harry Chelsea. I think he's a player around whom we can build a midfield. And so, yeah, he gets an honourable mention. The other one is to Scouse Lewis, who I thought in a season where we had a good number of decent loanies, he was he was the best, uh, partly for the way he improved in his technical ability, but also just for those slide tackles. Um, and if you could offer me any of this season's loanies back next year, I would have Scouse Lewis all day long because... Um, I just I really like what he is all about. He, he also turned up in the away end at Salford after his injury. Oh, so yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He gets, oh, he gets bonus points for that for me. Yeah. I would have disagreed with you a little bit there, Ed. I would have said if we could have one of the loanies back next year, it would probably be Mariah Welsh. I think he's a really good little player in the middle there. Um, and he played a lot of games. So I'm going to diverge from uh, your selections for player of the season I think he won the club's player of the season and uh, he's going to get my vote as well Cameron Norman was just fantastic again he's reached 100 appearances for the club in two seasons I saw earlier on and he is good defensively he's a major outlet we always look for that mismatch with him against the opposing fullback as an outball 
Um, he chipped in with goals, um, coming at the back stick. Second um, highest top scorer, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was actually. But also, he wins so many free kicks. He's the most foul player in, certainly in League Two. I don't know whether it, in the entire EFL. He was at one point. And everyone loves a house as long as they're on their own team, don't they? <laughs> yeah. And he's out. Yeah. Um, and it would not surprise me at all to see him move in higher up the leagues. Um, we'll come on to retain players later on. Mickey scored a good few goals as well. I think he had quite a good season. Um, he's never won player of the season for us. 300 appearances now. Wow. wow. La- last game of the season was his 300th appearance. He popped up with a couple of winners as well this season Absolutely. didn't he? I think he had... caught, caught live by my good self in a couple of mm. places i believe two two or three i think he got game winners so yeah really good from mickey again he's never won player of the season for us um but he had, if we had a most consistent player over the last six years that he's been at the club i think uh he'd probably get it i'm glad you mentioned him because i was going to give him an honourable mention if no one no one talks about him but there was a there was a point during the season and 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 certainly at Carlisle where where me and Ed were where he looked like ooh there was he was making a few mistakes and it it it, it was a yard off and there could be a whole host of reasons behind that but he shrugged that off really quickly and got back to his as you say got back to his normal consistent self and yeah chipped in with some great goals and yeah whether he stays or not we don't know but yeah, 300 appearances, you know, brilliant stuff. So, uh, yeah, honourable mention. Sorry, Reese, to jump in there. No, you're spot on. Um, and I'll, I'll come back around to Bogle because um, that brings us on to uh, planning for next season. How do you think we get the best out of him next year? I went through and watched the club's all goals video yesterday and noted down all of Bogle's goals. Um, so six penalties, but lots of them were not what you'd expect from someone who gets kind of pigeonholed as a target man. There's lots of good finishes on the turn and a lot of them on the volley. Somewhere there's just a goal line scramble and he gets there first. When he scores goals, it's not the goals that you'd expect a target man to get where there's towering headers in the box. I saw um, Chris Kerwine say, maybe we partner him with more size. So he's yeah. not doing not doing the wrestling against defenders he's running off the shoulder and he's the one getting into the forward positions and someone else is doing that that dirty work he's he's big and he's physically strong but actually yeah you're right if you look at his game he's much more like a dom telford than he is a courtney baker richardson you know it, he is like i say you turn on a sixpence he's the kind of fox in the box striker he just happens to be quite big with it um what we need to do yeah as you said and as chris kerman has said is find a physical imposing striker who can do that stuff and then play Bogle with him. I think you do that and then Bogle gets 20 goals. And if, if you're lucky, then your other striker might get 10, 15 as well. That That's the target for the summer. The target is a target, man. Or, or is it? And I think, Reese, I thought you summed this up brilliantly in, in, in one of our chats the other day. You sit down and you work out how do we get the most out of Bogle, Right. Is that and that could be style of play as well. You know, is it wingers? Is it is it a uh, you know uh, like a, a a sort of um, attacking midfielder a number ten? Is it a big guy up alongside it? What what's the thing that's gonna get the best out of Bogle? And whatever that is, and there could be a range of options there, isn't it? Whatever that is, that's what you sign. There's no doubt, and I think with the players remaining, Bogle's our best player. So you have to build around him, don't you? 
funny you mentioned a number 10 because if you watch that all goals video his goals at the start of the season there's one mr james Waite popping up a lot in a lot of the um in the build-up play to his goals i know he's much maligned but if you watch the, that video back you'll be pleasantly surprised by Waite's contributions i think he's, he's not maligned by me for, for exactly that reason that the angry wasp thing has an element of truth to it but the energy he brings and the panic that he inspires in defenders if you're a defender Wait doesn't know what he's going to do, so you sure as hell don't know what he's going to do. And so you you sort of back off him almost. Yeah, the Angry Wasp was when he was being played as a central midfielder, not an attacking midfielder, under Robert, and he was being asked to chase and press. Whereas start of this season, he was being played essentially as a number 10 to create stuff. And I think he did yeah. that. I'm not yeah. sure when you watch a highlights video, obviously you only see the good bits. So how much do you give up with his lack of physicality for what he brings um, in attack? For but, me, uh, he's a He's a squad player for me. I'm not saying get rid of weight. I'm saying we keep weight. You know, he's a squad player. He's on the bench. He's probably relatively cheap in wages. He's yep. good to have in the squad, right? And you bring him on, you know, you use him as that impact player when legs are tired and, and all that sort of stuff. Totally with that. He's not in the, he's not in the, you know, if we're, if we're starting next season with him in the, with him in the first 11, that, that's not great for me. Me and my dad were saying early in the season, imagine playing 70, 80 minutes of football and then seeing someone as um, energetic and as quick as weight coming on against yeah. you. Must be an absolute nightmare. Uh, so players we've offered contracts to um, to come back next season is Nick Townsend, uh, Mickey, Cam Norman, Bruce Lee Farquharson, Aaron Lewis, Scott Bennett and James Clark. Are there any of those who you think will be moving on? Any who you think will be coming back? I'm sure. Uh, so I... Yeah, I I think we've we've done the right thing by offering them all contracts, but I don't think for one single moment that Coco or others at the club expect that they're all going to sign up. Um, I think it's highly likely that Cameron Norman, Priestley, and probably Mickey are going to go. Townsend, I think if he's got the option of first team football, he's another one who will probably go, and then it's down to Lewis. Bennett and Clark, uh, who knows? It depends what terms they've been offered, but I would imagine we, we stand a, a chance of keeping those three, maybe. So if you keep th- three out of the seven, that's not too bad. Whatever happens, though, you look at that, that's a very experienced group. That's the bulk of the experience within the squad. So there's a big challenge around replacing not just the experience, but like the soul of the dressing room. You know, Mickey's a character, Cam Norman is a character. You know, you've got people like yeah, Bennett, Lewis, Townsend, who Clark. Yeah, I mean, basically all of them are are players who bring an awful lot of know-how and expertise. So if they go, you've got a big job as a manager to try and make sure you've still got some spirit in the dressing room, which is something I think sometimes gets overstated a bit in football. But I think if you lose the core out of that group, then then you have got to almost like rebuild the culture of the club from uh, and the dressing room from the bottom up. Yeah, a lot of those players, are, along with um, the ones who we released, um, that mainly uh, Wilmot and Dolan, combine that with kind of Townsend, Mickey, Cam, Bennett. You know, they've kind of been the spine of the side for mm-hmm. for a good few seasons. I really hope Mickey will stay. Um, he probably could have left for more money after the playoff final uh, yeah. a couple of years ago. He's now two seasons further down the road in his career he's been in Newport a long time he's got a young family that are settled there I hope 
I hope he stays. Um, same with Bennett. I think Bennett said early in the season that he wanted to stay. So I think it depends on the on the deal we've offered him. Townsend has been unfortunate, I think, because he competed with Tom King for the number one job, seemed to get it. But then the club had the opportunity to re-sign Day. Day came in. He's once again had to compete to be the number one. So I agree with you. If he gets the opportunity to go somewhere and be the number one, and and we're stuck, not we're stuck with Day because he's a, he's a perfectly good goalkeeper. But you know, we signed it when we re-signed him. We did so on a very long-term contract. It was certainly three years. I think it may even it it might even be longer. So we've got Day. Whatever happens. So if you're Nick Townsend, then you're thinking, well, am I going to stick around and compete with? someone else or can I go and get first team football and equally if you're the manager you're thinking well we've got a, a number one who is on the books regardless do I want to spend a significant portion of a small budget on having two number ones if that makes sense or do I want to, to have someone who's there as an understudy and and then you know if there's injuries I can get someone in on loan and I suspect that's probably where we're going to be which is a shame because personally I think Nick Townsend is, is slightly the better keeper out of the two of them but, you know, if he's one out of contract, then I don't blame anyone for making that decision. I, I agree with most of what you're saying there. And I, and I think the, the it makes me throw forward a little bit to think about, you know, we've, we've known for a while, haven't we, we, we've got to replace a number of long-standing, you know, leaders, soul of the club, soul of the dressing room type, type players. And it's I'm really interested to... to and slightly worried, but I'm interested about how we go about that and how we build the next lot of those. You know, we, we've talked about Scott Bennett a lot in terms of being the onion and the curry, you know, and, and we all work in different in different fields and probably everyone listening to this pod will understand, you know, culture, leadership. They're really important. It doesn't matter where you work. They're, they're really important things, aren't they? So who's going to be, if, if, if we lose that, those characters, how do you rebuild that? Who's going to be the next ones? You know, how how do you? Because well, I think one of the really really strong points about about you know your Dolans, your Bennett's, you know your Mickeys, is that when we've been going through you know management changes from you know Flinney, you know Hastwell, you know Robry, um, Darren Kelly to go for a few games, Cochrane, they've been there to, for me. They've probably been doing a lot of steady in the ships behind the scenes that we don't see, don't they? So who's that sort of the golden thread, the sort of strong heart of the of the team and the culture and the club that needs to be on that pitch? And how do we rebuild that? So I would like to sit, I'd love us personally to keep Bennett and to keep Mickey to, to try and basically hand that across, you know, to who the net and who are we building that? We, we, is Charlesley going to be one? Is he going to be, you know, could we put Bogle on a two year deal now? He's got one year left. Could we put him on a bit of a longer deal? Could he be a bit of a talisman? You know, could, how do we look to build that? We've got a massive hole in the back, really, at the minute. I think we've only got Declan, haven't we, really, who's who's signed up for next season. So we've got some building to do, haven't we? Which we have every season, to be fair. You know, it's the nature of the, nature of the beast at the level that we're at. But I guess often we're building players around that core. If the, if the core experience goes, we've got to build a core and build around that, which is probably a little bit harder. So I'd like, if we could so keep some of them, great. The one caveat I will make there, because and, and I'm, I'm in agreement with you, but the one thing I will say is our problem this season has been in defence and shipping soft goals, particularly not long after we've scored goals. So there is a challenge around 
having to replace our defence, there is also an opportunity around having to replace our defence. And Coughlin, as a former centre-back himself, yeah. I think is a, a good man to be doing that. So, unlike you, I, I would love it if we kept Cameron Norman. I'd love it if we kept Mickey Dimitriou. But if we've got to do a rebuilding job, I'd rather be doing a rebuilding job on the defence where... You know, we've got players we love who have been very good for a number of years, but also actually we have got problems than yeah. some other areas of the pitch. Maybe it's one where we just need to yeah, buy the bullet and, and, and it. sort it out. Yeah. And um, maybe in 12 months' time, we'll be saying, yeah, it was really sad that we had to wake goodbye to, to Mickey yeah. and to Priestley and to Cameron, but we needed to Look do what that. We've got. So, yeah. I tell you what, though, Ed, I, I, I agree with you, but I also disagree because for me, the problem for me this year has been midfield. It's really odd because, you know, you can look at individual players and think, well, Wilding's pretty good and Charles is pretty good. And, you know, we've, we've Lewis in there and he's pretty good. So you look at it on the, you look at it on paper thing. Well, that's a decent midfield. I think, I, and yet I think a lot of the goals we've shipped. Yes, there's been silly, sloppy things at the back. The amount of times we've just let people waft through the middle of the mid, midfield. I don't know whether that's because we're only playing three there. I don't know if it's a formation thing. Midfield has let us down for me, both from an offensive position in terms of creativity and defensively, we have let people waltz through us time and again for me. That was one of the big things under Robbery that towards the end is I don't, it must have been so frustrating for him because it just was a string of individual errors leading to goals that were costing him game after game. Maybe it was his system. He was asking the players to do something that they weren't comfortable with. Priestley is one I looked at who was a lot better under Coughlin. But like it must be so frustrating for a manager when just a defender falls asleep. And to be fair, I've seen Drysdale do it in some games. And then like Northampton, we beat them 3-0. Drysdale was the best player on the pitch. Yeah. We could have played with just Drysdale in defence. <laughs> he was that good. He won yeah. everything. He was chasing everything. He was fantastic. I, but other days, he looks like he's never played football before. But, I, I, you know, yeah. fourth division, fourth division defenders sometimes are inconsistent. Like, you know, hold the front page. That, like, that, is, that is what you've got to deal with. Is, uh, and we've said it already about, uh, about others this season. You know, Bogle's been inconsistent at times. Declan has been inconsistent at times. James White has been inconsistent at times. Will Evans has been inconsistent at times. Adam Lewis has been... Like, that is what happens. It's, it's this level. Yeah. So, it's why they're playing at this level. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I do. I mean, I wish Martin was around, really, because, uh, you know, you, you know I love formations and tactics. It's my, it's, my, <laughs> it's, my, it's my specialism. But what I would say, certainly away from home... When we play the three and we and the and the full backs of the wing backs push up, so they leave the three at the back. I think I think Declan, if he's playing between the eighteen yard lines effectively as a two, is is fine. But when that three has to spread out a bit, that's when I've seen us really struggle and I've seen him really struggle. The amount of times I've seen op- opponents just put the ball behind our full backs, behind our wing backs, ask our centre backs to come out. We, we we really, really struggled with that. It could just be my perception, but I, mem- I remember when we were playing at Rochdale like that and, and, you know, Rochdale were the worst team in the league. They beat us at home, which we know about, but, but at their place, they did that all the time. They just pulled Declan out, made him come away from the 18-yard lines, out into that wing-back position. Now, I don't know whether that's the wing-back's, the wing-back's job. Is, he's not coming back enough to help him or what, but that... And that's where I think I'd like, I don't know whether 
Cockland is wedded to 3-5-2 or 5-3-2, or he's had to say, well, this is the players we've got, so we play with that formation. I'm quite interested in that for next season because he's now got a scope to say, what is what does he want to do? He inherited a load of players and couldn't necessarily change that. But formation's something for me we need to look at. It's part of the chess match of football, though, isn't it? If you play mm-hmm. with wing backs, then there's space behind them. And if you have uh, you know, wingers and overlapping fullbacks, then you've got a two on one out there, but there's less space in the middle. So it's kind of pick your poison. Do you want to be difficult to break down through the middle? Because you could argue that we might be fine leaving um, a winger run down the wing to cross it in because we've got Priestley and Declan and Mickey there to win the headers when the cross comes in. And as a manager, you have to kind of balance that out and also maybe tinker it, tailor it to your opponents if you know mm. what's the strength and weakness. But that's, that's all part of the tactical chess match of football. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think Ian's, oh. Ian's point about um, formations is an interesting one because, again, I think Copland came in and thought, right, well, look, we're, we're used to playing 5-3-2. Let's not throw everything up in the air and start from scratch. Let's just stick with that but try and make us a more resilient 5-3-2. If he's going to make the switch, then I can see that happening over the summer and who knows what we may end up switching to. I know we tried, we've tried different formations in the last half of the season. We tried a 4-3-3 at Stockport, which definitely did not work, but I'm glad that we tried it um, just to establish that. But I, I should imagine we'll see some exper- experimentation with systems over the yeah. summer friendlies. Yeah. Back yeah. to your point about leadership as well, Ian. There's also an opportunity, isn't there, for the experienced pros we've got to step up and be that be that Definitely. for like you know joe day's been around a long time drysdale's not not new he's still relatively young though isn't he but vogel's yeah. been around you know will has got bags of experience so you know there's there's players there who have the opportunities to step up and yeah. those are probably who the manager will be looking at if you know if we have some of those we talked about not returning then you know they've got to be the new core of the of yeah. the side it's um, a really good point, and that's where Coco's going to earn his call, isn't he? Like, get hold of those and go, right, you're, our, you're my guys. I, I was encouraged by the January recruitment, like I said, so I'm hoping that it continues in the same vein. I know from the noises the manager has been making, we we have some difficult budget decisions to make, I think, but part of me takes that with a pinch of salt because every transfer window and every manager is always going, oh, I could do with a little bit more money in the transfer market. How do you feel about that? I, I got a bit, I've personally been a little bit miffed about, I don't like managers moaning about their lack of money because part of me is like, read a room, none of, we could all do with some more money, the, the environment's difficult. How do you, how do you feel about that? I, 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 I don't like it personally, but. He took the job as Newport County manager. It really shouldn't come to a surprise to him six months later that we don't have the money of, your Wrexhams, your Bradfords, your, you know, in, insert name of team here. Like, you are in charge of a club who is at the bottom end of this table in terms of spending power. Deal with it. You know, if if, if you want to go and take over somewhere else, then by all means, crack on. But you're, you're here for a reason as well. So you've got to wheel and deal. And that's that's the job. I'm not too bothered by it. Um, I think Flynn did it for every transfer window. I know. He wants more money for players. At the end of every window, it was always, oh, I'd like to get one or two more in, but I'll have to see if the board will support it every window. And he was always on about new training grounds, which we're not going to get into that. Build a new stadium, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll be back onto the same three site. Um, but I just think every manager 
part of the game. Always wants more resource. The really positive flip to that for me is also, and we sometimes forget this, you know, we're talking about Cam Norman for, as a really good example of someone who has been brilliant for us. If we don't want to leave, we will probably go on to higher things or better paid clubs. You know, he was a Walsall reject when we got him mm. money. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, we've yeah. got really, there's there's numerous players who've come in, re- you know, released, rejected from other clubs that you pick up. There will be all of those players. There'll be lots of Cam Normans knocking around. The skill is on Coco and the new guy, Hill, is it? Um to find those diamonds, isn't it? And and, and bring them in. And that, that's where their that's where their skill and experience lies, which maybe they have, which obviously Robri didn't, you know, that and that's yeah. where that's one of the that's one of the positives, I think, of of, of, systems of what we can do. Too as well. Systems yeah. make players. There'll be someone who doesn't quite work somewhere else and he'll yeah. find a club, your Dom Telfords, he'll find a system, all of a sudden that really clicks for him. He scores twenty goals a season. Yeah. But yep. he didn't have a good goal scoring record until last season. He didn't no. have a good goal scoring record for most of this season. And and there's also been a, a interesting discussion on the We Are Exiles forum um, this week about developing young players to be part of the squad. And I know like Kevin Ray has started to get in towards like the fringes of uh, of the team. But you know, I'd like to see Coughlin being told, right, you've got to have one or two academy lads on the bench every game because we get like seven spaces on the bench now which is insane so actually let's try and make sure we're making use of a couple of those spaces for our own academy players because you only need one of them every season to become a to get to that level and then suddenly you've got a player who you can incorporate into your squad or a saleable asset or both so there's something there about trying to challenge your manager not just to bring in players but also to to coach the ones you've got to be better so i'd like to think that we could maybe start challenging the manager around some of that a bit more as well. I think they are used to fill out those squad slots, though. We've had the likes of uh, Woody Wiss, Bright Mm. and Ovendale on the bench all season here and there. And then they were released as soon as their scholar contracts were up. They're just cheap manpower as a scholar. And unless you know they're going to be a home run, you're not going to offer them pro terms. Um, I, I agree with that, but with one caveat, which is that, yes, if you if you put them in the team, they will struggle for a little bit. But we put Adam Lewis in the squad and he struggled for a little bit. We put Charlie McNeil in the squad and he struggled for a little bit. We put, who was the lad we had from Villa? Hayden Lindley? Lindley. You know, yeah. Hey. Struggled so, a lot. Some, yeah, sometimes. We, yeah. So it feels like sometimes we're more patient with other teams' youngsters than we are with our own. And... You know, I, I know these are really difficult decisions, but I sometimes think I would really like us to invest a little bit more I'd, patience in our own. I'd caveat your caveat, Ed, with the manager sees them in training as well. Yeah, so the yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they are. He sees them where we don't. Yeah. Do you, do you not do you not think? I mean, one of the things that you know we're talking about on the pitch development, but part of part of this is about off the pitch development as well, isn't it? I, I wonder if we, because we've now signed a few players out of Welsh League, haven't we, that, that have got potential. And I wonder whether we should be trying to, you know, form more of a, a partnership with your, your, a Penny Bond or whoever it may be and sort of get our players out to them earlier, you know, and have not, not a feeder club as such, but have a bit more of a relationship with a couple of clubs in the Welsh League that we could potentially use to get players to them that we could come to us, but also we could get our younger players out to them and get them 
tested a bit earlier than rather than sort of youth football. I don't know what you did. What, what you didn't we that? do that this season with Pontypridd though? I agree with the principle, but I feel like we sort of we we've got that, but I'm not sure it worked. I guess whether you know have we got it is in in, in a slightly more sort of formal arrangement, and then mm. it might not work. But maybe that's the point. Maybe maybe we send yeah. them out there and go right. Can you cut yeah, yeah, it? Yeah. No, you can't. Off you go. Let's find yeah, some others. Yeah. Brutal. As I, that I mean. Is. Like I say, I, I spoke to the Alternative Wales podcast the other day and I was full of praise for the lads we've got who've come through the, the Cymru Prem. And I definitely think we should be using that for all it's worth because let's look, let's face it, Cardiff, Swansea and Wrexham are not going to be signing players from the Cymru Prem because they think that's a little bit beneath them. Whereas actually, if you look at it, Evans, Farquharson, Waite, that, you know, they've come through and, and done a decent job for us. You know, they may not all be ones who you'd start every single game, but they're a damn sight better than, well, Hayden Lindley. Yeah, yeah, fine. Let's pick on Hayden Lindley. Um, so, yeah, but by all means, I, I think we should we should absolutely be seeing ourselves as the step up for players from the Cymru Prem who want to make a go of it. It's a full-time professional in the Football League. Like, we are the club who can offer that. And I think the fact that we've got those success stories already... I think yeah, we should we should be kind of milking that for all it's worth, frankly. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a market that it's not necessarily untapped, but but it's maybe one that we've got a better connection to than trying to grab players from Premier League under twenty threes. So moving on from the squad of next season, we will move on to some questions. So first of all, is the new kit the best kit ever? No, I, I, I mean, I don't think it's the best kit ever. That's that's quite a, a high bar. Um, it's fine. I don't mind it. I'm not going to rush out and buy it. I'm going to continue my one-man campaign for us to have a, a, a shirt with a collar because I like to flick my collar up and pretend I'm Eric Cantona because I'm a, a child of the 80s and 90s. Because the club have said they're going to put the names of season ticket holders on the third strip next season, I'm now in for having to buy three uh, third kits next year because of for me and the kids so um i've just really all of my hopes are on the third kit not being atrocious uh i, I, but I think the first kit is is fine the home kit is yes yeah, all right i don't mind it i wouldn't say it's the best ever but i don't dislike it i thought from a marketing point of view it was really shrewd the way we trailed it announced it and then wore it on the last game of the season we'd also trailed uh, announced and put on sale season tickets as well I like the fact that we were doing all of that in like April time, ready for the end of the season. So I think, yeah, kudos to whoever was overseeing all of that. Um, the kit is fine. I don't have a strong feeling on it. Ian, I think, feels more strongly, so I will pass over to him. No, it's not the best <laughs> kit ever. <laughs> Let's get that out there straight away. Very straightforward, the best kit, which will, which will also please Ed. The best kit we've ever had was the Adidas kit, 1979-82. to 82 which also, if I'm not mistaken, had a collar, Ed. So you'd be very happy with that one. However, it is, I think, the best kit of the modern era. So it's definitely, you know, it, it's, it's, it's all been, as soon as it came out, I was going, it's a ripoff of the Patrick kit of the mid-80s. And obviously that's come out and that's exactly what it is. If I'm being hypercritical, we've got a thick amber stripe on the side of the black shorts, which I don't like. I think the shorts should be all black. However... If you're going to have a stripe, it should be a pinstripe to match the black pinstripes on the jersey. Also, the shorts should be black with amber cuffs for me. But but it's having, I'm just being hypercritical here. It's a very good kit. I like it a lot. Um, but no, it's not the best kit ever. That's 79.82 Adidas. If there's any young'uns listening to this, 
go and check that kit out. You'll be sitting down because you'll fall over at the beauty of that kit. I wasn't so keen on it when I saw it on Twitter, but when I saw it on on the weekend, I I actually really like it. I think it's a good good colour. Um, I'm just I've got the kit history up on another screen now. There's some decent ones. I quite liked our um, our first Hummel offering that we wore in the in the playoff final. That was one of my favourites recently. And then there's the classic um, Blue Square South promotion season Acorn Acorn recruitment kit. I enjoyed that one as well when it was proper proper tangerine. <laughs> I just want to say to everyone who's listened to this, Ed has just put something in the chat. It says, we need to design the perfect 1912 Exiles kit over the summer. I think we should run that as a bit of a competition on Twitter. <laughs> it'd, be like, <laughs> it'd be like, what, what, what is it? What is it called? Is it a camel? Is like a horse designed by committee in it. So well, it's going to be it, absolutely it, brilliant. For, for, for the benefit of, um, of, of Woody, who I know listens and likes his Simpsons memes, it'll be like the car that Homer designs in the Simpsons that is, is kind of all over the place. So yeah, maybe, all right, we'll, we'll do that. We'll try and draw. I mean, my drawing is ability is awful. So we'll do that between now and August. We will draw the perfect kit for the 1912 exiles panel brilliant start searching the kids crayons for the perfect <laughs> <shape> number <laughs> so um shout outs and beefs um ian do you want to go first shout outs and beefs um yes firstly i think for me shout out i have said it's been a bit of a tricky season in, in, in many respects but as we touched on early, like the pod has been great. So a shout out to all of you guys. I know we haven't got J- Jamie and Jack with us today, but but you guys have been you've kept this old old gipper rocking along quite nicely, and that's been that's been brilliant. But also, as I touched, like I've met Newport fans, but fans of other clubs up and down the countries I've been pooling about, and that's been great as well. You know, I brought on you know my mate Paul, Rochdale fan, and and um, Steve McGrimsby, mate, and and. You know, chat to different fans up and down the country, and I, I really enjoyed that. And I think it's just a point for people. You know, just remember that everybody, most fans are lovely, and and I, it, it always depresses me when I go and like our fans or their fans are chanting rubbish at each other about how they hate each other. Effectively, you're hating yourself because we're all we're all all right, we're all good. So my shout out is to basically to the lovely fans, both Newport and other fans up and down the country and you know we make we make the game what it is so that's my shout out thank you i'm gonna give a shout out this is gonna surprise a few people to the pa announcer at rodney parade who i gave a lot of stick to at the start of the season for his let's make some noise uh shtick but um I think after a, a rocky start, I think he, he got slightly better. And by the end of the season, he'd sort of taken it down a notch or two. He'd found a few little things to to have fun with, like the, the free gripper uh, stuff. And um, I, I feel as though he's he's found his mark a little bit. He had a very tough act to follow after Tim Thraves. Um, and I think he's now started to find his own voice. So um, I'm going to give him a shout out because I think fair play, that has got better. My shout is basically to, as I said earlier, we've done 40 episodes this season, which I think is fantastic. Um, and thank you for everyone who's listened and put money in our Ko-Fi or bought a mug to help us get a bit of extra hosting time. Um, you know, don't go thinking that we've got sponsors in the background paying us to do this. Like <laughs> we do it for free and we get a little bit of free hosting and any money we do get goes into extending our hosting time. 
Um, but if there's any charcuterie company out there and cheese company who'd like to f- give give me give me away day charcuterie and cheese, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, that would be our dream sponsorship. Would be uh, charcuterie. Um, but also to um, the other guys of the pod, you know, I have not done that many of these this season. I've probably done less than ten, I'd say. Um, so the other thirty odd episodes are you guys chatting with opposition pods and going to the away days and putting it all together. You guys are the real MVPs. <laughs> uh, the first MVP I've ever won. <laughs> good stuff. Right, let's get some beefs out of the way before well, we sign off. That's got to be good. On that, on that positive note, we'll switch over to the beefs. Um, I'm going to go first. I know we've already touched on it, but I follow is rubbish. Just <laughs> what a beautiful product. I started keeping a tally, actually, the other day of all the things I missed. We missed three counterattacks, one corner, one long throw into their box and a goal with replays during live play. Just is someone actually keeping an eye on this when they're just chucking replays in during live action? Do do you complain though, Reese? Because I I mean I don't use iFollow as a general rule. I, I try and like lean out of my window and pick up Radio Wales. Um but the the I think a couple of times this season I did pay for Radio Wales commentary and once I missed a goal because I think they'd like accidentally put on commentary of the Cardiff game or something. Anyway, I emailed them and complained and I got my money back. So I think I think that's the way forward is complain. I did a moaning tweet and tagged the EFL, but they don't give a hoot, do they? <laughs> They're laughing all them. the way to the bank. Yeah, I've already paid them. They don't care. Um, so, yeah, that that is is my beef. I have a beef and it's it's not with Wrexham fans or certainly fans of Wrexham from before, like two years ago. Um, because, you know, you've got your moment in the sun, you've got promotion with over 100 points, and good luck to you. I'm, I'm quite relaxed about that. My beef is with the media, and particularly like the Welsh media, for the disproportionate attention that they have been paying to Wrexham over the last few years, because I just feel as though, you know, it, the, the the media exposure of Welsh football is a finite resource and the more of it that goes to Wrexham the less there is that's going to uh, to us and I think that's going to get really unbearable like next season it's going to grip my tits just how much attention gets paid by the Welsh media to Wrexham in the fourth division rather than Newport County in the fourth division um, don't wait till next season Ed all summer <laughs> <laughs> I mean it was even you know that um, Five Live had a reporter live at the Wrexham bus open top bus parade and they gave him you know five or ten minutes of airtime talking about the open top bus parade at the same time there was one of the the first playoff match happening in the conference so the same league didn't get a mention not even a score update and you're like the the amount of like star from the media of Wrexham because they've got famous Hollywood owners I just it really gets on my nerves um and I've been able to ignore it a bit this season because they've not been at our level but next year it's going to be so in your face and it's going to be really boring i think it's really straightforward really this and you need to adopt my technique ed (laughs) right so i can't tell like i'm sure everyone who listens to this knows this i can't tell i couldn't name you a player who plays for any other league two club right and that will be the same next year i have no interest in any other clubs right Least of all, a club that's not even one of our rivals, right? Their rivals are Chester, Stockport, you know, Crew, Tranmere. They've, they've got nothing to do with us whatsoever. Just, just ignore them. I ignore everything to do with them. 
I'll ignore every signing they make. I won't be able to tell you unless they sign Cam Norman. I won't be able to tell you a single. I won't be able to sell you a single player who plays for him. And I don't care. Just ignore him. Pointless. 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 Can I have some beefs? Yeah, go for it. Right, I got two. I got two. One's a sad beef. Really, it's not beef as such because it's how it is. But um, as you know, I live in Leeds, and I'm missing a few clubs that have gone down. I'm. I'm. I'm I'm sad that Rochdale have gone, and my mate Paul, who I get on really well with, who's been on the pod and, and comes to the games, um, they've gone, as my mate Simon did. So before the season before Oldham, so there's a there's a message here: don't be a friend of mine because your team's going to get relegated. Um, and where my where my my partner is from, which is just outside Hartlepool, they've gone as well. So <laughs> I, I, I missed. <laughs> I'd promise to take my sister-in-law to the game, and like we can't go because they've gone, they've gone down. So, so that that's a bit sad for me. And also, Bradford might go up, and that's like five miles from my house. So I'm I'm missing a lot of clubs that I go and see and go in, which which makes me a bit sad to be honest with you. Um, and my other beef, which might be controversial, is the new Sky deal that's come in, um, which touches a little bit on your thing with our friends in the North Head. Is it a good thing? Everyone's going to go, oh, it's brilliant. There's the games on the telly. There's more money coming in. This goes back to my sort of, you know, frumpery with the state of football, really. So, yep, we're going to get some money on money. But all we're doing is is spreading inequality. You know, the, the teams in the championship, I think, get six times more money than League One and ten times more, more money than League Two. So all we're doing is spreading inequality. It makes it harder and harder and harder for anyone to go anywhere. And the worst bit about that, other than the money side of it, so you start thinking, well, what's the point? But the, the, the other bit is they're going to put all the live games on. So we know in our division, we can make a good guess where most of those live games are going to go. It's also going to mean they're going to shift time. They're going to shift kickoffs, aren't they? We're going to have Friday night games or whatever we're going to have, just like they do in the Premier League. It's one of the things I love about not supporting the team in the Premier League is <laughs> generally speaking, the games will be when they're supposed to be. And for people like me who book you know, try to book trains and all that sort of stuff in time for to get to games. It's going to make it harder for me to get the games. And, you know, I've been going for a long time. It, it's, it has the potential to erode my ability to support the, the club I love. And therefore, yeah, it brings more money in, but it's going to make things worse in the long run, I think. I agree with you. The, the Sky deal um, and the disruption of games, you know, kickoff times being moved and everything else. Like the most important people for any club are not the people who watch on iFollow or who watch on Sky. It's the people who turn up week in, week out, certainly at our level, who turn up week in, week out and put money through the terraces and behind the bar um, and everything else. And the disruption that is caused by moving kickoffs, often at quite short notice, to suit people sitting on their ass watching on their sofa is disproportionate when it comes to the, yeah, the people who've forked out for train travel, for hotel rooms, you know, all the rest of it. Because a lot of us, guess what? If we're going up to Wrexham or Carlisle or Stockport or Hartlepool or, you know, wherever, that's quite a mission. And so is Sky going to refund you if you end up not being able to use your train ticket up to... Morecambe. Morecambe, yeah, fine. On a Friday night. Yeah, yeah, Morecambe on a Friday night. Then, no, they're not. So you end up having to, like, bear that cost. One of the nice things about sporting club in the fourth division is that you can pretty much say, our games will be at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon and occasionally at 7.45 on a Tuesday night. As soon as you start bugging about with that, 
it means that you the people you mostly inconvenience are the people who actually want to go and, and watch their team play. Those are the people who will still be around when Sky falls over one day, which I hope it will. So fully fully with you on that, comrade. Excellent. So on that, that, about, re- on that yeah. revolutionary note, Reese, over to you. <laughs> yeah, Ian's putting on his beret as we speak. Looking at the big guy over there. So that about wraps it up for us for our bumper end of seasons uh, episode. Um, all that remains is for me to thank the panel, Ed and Ian, and to thank all. all of you for listening. Um, we'll be back in a few weeks' time, hopefully with some updates on the going on at the club. And as always, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and until next time, keep it counting. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.